Hermione Granger and the Silent Country. From There Is Nothing to Fear by Santissi Day. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 9 Still Shining What had October done to her? For all that the details of their meeting were slippery, and Hermione could reflect some parts of it only through a fog, something was obviously wrong. The very fact that she didn't know what was wrong was ominous in itself. The worst thing was perhaps the fact that Hermione had written out instructions to herself and then forgotten, or rather been forced to forget, that she had done so. The first thing Hermione thought to do was tell Madame Maxime. It was the obvious course of action, and the headmistress would surely consider the situation to be worth bringing to her attention, but Hermione couldn't do it. The sword of Damocles still hung over Beaubaton, ready to descend and sever the school's right to its own grounds if October willed it, and if his interest in Hermione's presence in Britain hadn't been clear already, it surely was now. Almost as quickly, Hermione dismissed the idea of telling Fleur. She would surely tell Madame Maxime, and then October's sword would swing down all the same, delayed only by a few minutes. It was hard to fault Fleur for that. Hermione would surely do the same for her, if their positions were reversed, but good intentions couldn't make up for bad consequences. Fleur might even, there was no doubt that she would, position herself between Hermione and October, and that, too, Hermione couldn't allow. But if Hermione was isolated, that didn't mean that she was totally adrift. She could rely, at least, on the support of her past self, who had somehow snatched the opportunity to send warning advice to her. They taught mental magic at Hogwarts, which meant that the library had to have useful references. If Hermione couldn't talk to somebody else, then she could still teach herself. Hermione would have started that minute, but the library was closed. She did homework instead, making notes on the purifications of Empedocles from her Greek reader and leveraging the mighty arm of schoolwork to calm her racing mind. That discomfort was still there, a distracting worm that gnawed at her, but one line became two and two became four, and eventually she fell asleep. Hermione awoke a few hours later with an ache in her back and a sore neck. The morning light shone through her window. Casting out the glimmers of a few half-remembered nightmares and her worries, she wanted to believe, were going away with them. It was going to be okay. She had managed to send a warning to herself, and October hadn't noticed. Whatever it was that he was trying to do, whatever his intentions were, he wasn't in control like he thought he was. Hermione, or some version of her, had managed to beat him once, and proven that there was a solution to this problem. Hermione hardly took breakfast that morning, but she could honestly tell Fleur that she was only distracted by the prospect of studying, and that was enough to put Fleur's worries mostly to rest. That, and eating a little more. It was harder to do that than Hermione would have liked to admit, but the water wasn't tea, the pancakes didn't smell like fire and weren't cooked flesh, and Hermione could tell herself, almost believe, that there was nothing to worry about. There wasn't much that Hermione knew in detail about mental magic, but she knew that eye contact was important, and she wasn't about to let the headmaster into her memories. She didn't need to think about averting her eyes from Riddle, though. The Goblet of Fire still stood behind him, on the far end of the Great Hall, and that was reason enough to look anywhere else. After breakfast, Hermione went straight for the library, and there found a measure of peace. Whether they belonged to Beaubaton or Hogwarts, books were books— Hermione didn't find anything at first, but an older student noticed her frustration and advised her to reference Titan Wisby's Tome of Terms. 
As it turned out, there was no one bookshelf for occlumency, or even a single term for it. There was nemomancy, and phrenic vigilance, and a dozen other words. Mental magic, according to Wisby, was an artificial categorization, and the pedestal directories of the Hogwarts Library still filled each book according to which of a dozen so-called sub-disciplines it seemed closest to. Wordlessly, Madame Pince stamped out permissions and due dates for fogging the mind, the awkwardly named Protection Charm Your Mind, and a few others that looked like introductory texts. There were many more in the vein of the Tome of Transcendent Thought and Threshold to Transcendent Thought, more advanced texts with a specialized vocabulary all their own, even Ascent to the Threshold of Transcendent Thought, an introduction to an introduction, had so much jargon in it that Hermione spent more time looking up terms than actually making headway in the text. A mild interrogation from Fleur near the end of lunch was inevitable, as was Hermione's reply that she was studying. Fleur smirked. "'You should study outside. It is not that cold today. Come and enjoy the light of day.' "'And to put my books on the ground?' "'I lay which will not conjure a desk for yourself. And if you ever lift your head, you can judge my dueling against Idalius.' We are going to practice until my next class. Oh, that rather changed things. It would be good to be reminded that Fleur could take care of herself. I guess I could conjure a desk. And an armchair. Or, no, wait, it would be simpler, wouldn't it, to shrink one of the carriage's chairs. While Hermione prepared her study spot, Fleur and Adalia warmed up and Lino conjured an oversized cushion. Fleur was right, it was nice out. What Fleur hadn't mentioned was that it was busy, too— as Hermione watched, she could also see more than a dozen witches and wizards trooping up and down the school grounds, dressed in official-looking robes. Most bore a stylized M resting on a set of balance scales, but you could see few other symbols in there as well, including the fleur-de-lis of Wizarding France. From one of their wands, golden light streamed forth and settled smoothly on the ground, and as the light clumped and piled up like sand, another knelt down and scooped up a handful of soil. Elsewhere, two witches chatted and, if Hermione correctly understood, paced off a perimeter. Every few steps, one of them, always the same witch, stopped and spun on one foot. Between Fleur and Adalia's second and third matches, they sat on the grass beside Lino and chatted about a troll wrestling ring in Luxembourg, which one of the Durmstrang students had told Adalia about. While Adalia described one of the more gruesome incidents, both the ring and most of its non-troll competitors had been remarkably short-lived, Victor and his friend came over. They, being less familiar with her habits, couldn't tell the difference between an unstudious Hermione and one who was staring into the distance as she wrestled with something in her head, and she, having had a modicum of politeness drilled into her by Fleur, answered their greeting with all the good feelings she could muster. It wasn't as if she was making much progress on the material anyway, so Hermione allowed them to lead her into a conversation about the bustling activity on the school grounds as though she hadn't had anything else on her mind. Besides, Hermione was curious about it, and they seemed to have a better idea than she did. "'I didn't expect them to be at work already,' Hermione admitted. "'The first task won't be for a couple of months.' "'There are preparations that have to be made. "'They will want to spend as little time as possible setting up each task,' Victor said. "'That made sense. "'Hermione observed as one of them, shouting for somebody named Pettigrew, "'walked into the Forbidden Forest. "'Do you think they're allowed in there?' "'If they are not, then probably we will hear about it,' Dimitri said agnostically. "'It is we who are forbidden, not the professors,' Victor said, with a pointed look to Dimitri. "'Probably it is the case that ministry wizards are also allowed if they are here at Hogwarts at all.' He looked at Hermione's conjured desk, 
and the book spread across it. "'You are studying again,' Victor observed, smiling. "'At least you are able to enjoy the weather. "'I think it is very warm for autumn, but that is to be expected, no? "'We are so very far south.' "'This is the furthest north I've been,' Hermione said. "'Durmstrang must be very far.' "'That is what they all say, that it is far. "'We do not really know.' When we travel on Lugsames, we must go below decks where it enters deep waters and swims back and forth so that we do not know the way, and when it is dark, the stars are obscured so we cannot chart them. Perhaps Durmstrang rise on the equator and is kept cold by magic, or actually it is in Antarctica. Your professors must work very hard to maintain that, but Bator is unplottable, but lots of people still know how to get there. Durmstrang is Institute for Magical Research first, and School for Magical Studying second. The staff are all concerned about theft of secrets, so they make it hard to find. A thoughtful look crossed his face. Perhaps you would enjoy it at Durmstrang, since you enjoy studying very much. Hermione tried not to frown at the idea. Didn't they teach the dark arts at Durmstrang as well? She opted for a slight change in topic. I am studying she acknowledged. There's an awful lot to work on, but keeping busy is important, I think. Victor glanced down at her books again. You did not mention you were taking mental magic as well, I think. Have you wanted another elective? It's personal enrichment, Hermione said. I'm finding it very difficult to figure out, though. I imagine so, Victor replied. He sounded very certain, in a way that roused Hermione's curiosity. "'Are other of you studying occlumency?' she asked. "'Not here,' said Dimitri. Victor shook his head. "'There is not much that I want to keep a secret, "'and I am thinking our headmaster would not like it very much anyway "'if I studied mental magic here. "'Even if there is no opportunity to do so at Durmstrang, "'he would not... he would not...' Victor turned and muttered something to Dimitri. "'Appreciate,' said Dimitri. Headmaster Karakorov would not appreciate if I opened myself up to Riddle's teaching. I can imagine not, Hermione said. I'm not eager to do it myself. He's enough without rooting around in my head. It didn't help that October seemed interested in him either. It is not that. Victor chewed thoughtfully on what was left of his waffle. Our headmaster does not like him very much, of course. There have been too many changes to how things are done. I do not mind so much, you should know, but the headmaster does, and so he would never appreciate that kind of disclosure. Then why did he agree to the tournament? He has great pride in Durmstrang, and would come here in any case to get glory for our school, I think. But also I am thinking he wants to show that Durmstrang methods are superior to Hogwarts methods, Victor explained. There are no muggle-borns allowed at Durmstrang, and the headmaster is worrying about what will the consequences be now that Britain has reopened to the world. Hermione digested that. He wants to prove pure-blood supremacy. He does, Victor emphasized. I am here to prove myself, he said. And Hermione couldn't help but smile at that. And what about you? she asked Dimitri. He took another drink from his flask then offered Hermione a drunken grin. I am here for the having of fun, and to watch Victor do exciting things. You think Victor will be Durmstrang's champion? Dimitri shrugged. I think Victor will do exciting things, he said. 
gently elbowing Victor in the side. "'He always is doing exciting things, has he not?' Victor sighed and turned to Dimitri. "'If I am Durham's strength champion, I hope that will be the most exciting thing I ever do,' he said, and Dimitri laughed. Fleur had classes soon after, so Adalia had no one to spar with, and, more importantly, Hermione had no one to keep her at least one-tenth aware of the unwritten world. So she took the opportunity to withdraw into the carriage. It was nearly midnight before Hermione put the books away, and she was a little closer to her goal than when she had started. There was all this nonsense about clearing her mind, for one thing, and she wasn't sure how she was supposed to empty it. Thinking about the history of the concept of nothing almost certainly wasn't the same thing as just not thinking of anything, which also wasn't to be confused with not thinking of anything in particular. If only the book had asked her to focus on just one thing, rather than get rid of all the thoughts, then Hermione could have gone to bed successful after all, thinking of nothing but frustration. The next morning, Professor Tricard didn't call on Hermione in History of Magic, and Hermione didn't volunteer herself. It seemed less like peace than a temporary armistice, and Hermione felt as though Professor Tricard saw and took notes every time Hermione twitched in response to a comment about muggles or a subtle disagreement with the history she knew, but it might have just been her imagination. In Transfiguration, Professor Crouch set them on their first animate-to-animate transfiguration from mouse to rat, or in Latin, from moose to moose. Lunch came next, then ghoul studies, where Professor Lupin lectured on the taxonomy of Gula Gula and its close relatives, and thereafter was a two-hour block for charms taught by the soft-spoken Professor Warren, who instructed them in the disillusionment charm. There was only a little time to study after charms before Fleur reminded her of dinner, and then Hermione returns to her books, only to remember that she still had homework and correspondence classes to attend to. Much later, and realizing she was growing tired, Hermione noticed the time, nearly eleven in the evening. For a couple of minutes she considered her options, then forced herself to the carriage's potions chest. And there were risks to brewing alacrity elixir in a tired state, like setting fire to the carriage or making a mistake in giving herself insomnia for the next week, but the alternatives were worse. If Hermione took a nap, then she might oversleep and miss astronomy. Half an hour later the potion was complete, albeit weak, and soon thereafter Hermione ascended with all the fourth years to the highest level of the castle's highest tower. Her eyelids were heavy and her feet almost dragged, but all her exhaustion was brushed away when she beheld the stars bright and clear beneath the cloudless autumn sky. "'This is the star Vega, the falling vulture. The Norse called it Sidisiana, the South Star. The goblins called it Gekalat, the cart-driver,' Professor Sinister said. "'Once, thousands of years ago, it was the Northern Pole Star. Some day it will be again.' Hermione slept like the dead till breakfast, and not the least bit fitfully. When she awoke, it was as though she had passed directly from night to morning— and if she'd had any dreams or nightmares, she couldn't recall them. The next morning marked Hermione's full week at Hogwarts, and because it had been cancelled for the opening duel, her first arithmancy class. And there was a small overlap between divination and arithmancy, but there was more to the latter than prognostication or even spell creation, the law of large numbers, and the law of very large numbers, which was not simply the same thing but bigger, the stability of sevens and other matters. Among wizards, there was little sense that combinatorics and statistics were different fields, or that double-entry bookkeeping was less magical than ritual squares. Hermione had encountered all of it in her arithmetic textbooks. Those thoughts led inevitably to ruminations on occlumency, which lay in such contrast to arithmancy. 
It wasn't that arithmancy was easy. Hermione's proficiency in that subject came more from the steady dedication than natural talent, but she could work through it from basic principles, like history or potions. In contrast, even protection charm your mind, the most elementary of the occlumency texts which Hermione had checked out, implied that solo study didn't really happen. The authors of these texts seemed to take as granted that the student had someone proficient who could guide them, and seemed to include more in the way of mental exercises than any kind of spell that one could just practice. The books were full of references to inner sensations and subjective abstractions that were difficult for Hermione to conceptualize. What did it mean to reassemble these psychic apparatus, and how was she supposed to know whether her memories were membranous or filamentous or neither? It wasn't even clear whether the problem was that these concepts really were so intractable without someone there to enter her mind and say, there, what you are feeling now are the fingers of the will, or if the authors, being practiced in mental magic by definition, were just unused to explaining their thoughts on paper. As Hermione's brain racked itself for solutions, her feet carried her through school grounds near the Black Lake. There was a silver path here where, last weekend, there had been only grass, and in the distance she could see an elderly witch conferring with Headmaster Riddle. Hermione grounds to a halt then, as she saw the witch smile and shake. Was she laughing? Had Riddle told a joke? And then, from out of the groundskeeper's house, she saw Riddle again. As unexpected as it was to see Headmaster Riddle here, it was more shocking still to see two of them. It took a moment for Hermione to remember what Longbottom and Malfoy had said about Riddle's uniform during the opening feast, and realized that at least one of them, and maybe both, were Death Eaters. It was a good imitation, the all-encompassing darkness of their robes, swallowing up texture and definition as though someone had cut out a cloak of night and not a length of fabric, made it impossible to pick out any minor differences in their appearance. More than that, the two Death Eaters carried themselves in a similar manner, walked the same, and had the same posture. Polyjuice was a possible explanation, but they must have spent a great deal of time practicing their movements, too. The witch departed from them, and, as Hermione watched, the Death Eaters clasped each other's forearms and leaned forward, pressing the foreheads of their masks together. A few seconds passed without any word exchanged between them, at least so far as Hermione could overhear and then they released each other and moved away. "'Have you ever seen anything like it?' someone said, and Hermione startled, nearly jumping out of her skin. She turned to Dimitri, who smiled sheepishly. "'I'm wondering how many there are of those fellows.' "'Too many,' Hermione thought, but that was probably the wrong thing to say. "'I don't know. Where's Victor?' Dimitri started to shrug, then paused and pointed back down in the direction they'd come from. "'We are not always together,' he said. That was fair. Hermione wasn't glued to Fleur either, and neither was Lino to Adalia. There was silence for the space of a minute or two, but then, as Dimitri turns to leave, Hermione thought back to her conversation from a couple of days before. "'You're studying occlumency, aren't you?' Something flickered across Dimitri's face, a foreign expression that passed before Hermione recognized it, replaced by a shrug and a lazy smile. "'Studying, studied something like that. "'I am knowing more than Victor,' he shrugged again. "'I would not be a good teacher, though.' "'Anything would be better than my books,' Hermione almost said, "'but her tongue caught on the blasphemous utterance "'before it could pass by her lips, "'and that was enough of a pause for her to think better of pushing the matter. "'Instead, she smiled, thanked him, and returned to the carriage. "'There was somebody else that Hermione could ask, "'and she wouldn't have to wait long for the opportunity.' 
in potions that afternoon. The contusion cream, which Professor Malfoy assigned them, required extremely fresh rat spleens, which meant they had to butcher, gut, process the rats in class. The work gave rise to unpleasant thoughts, but it wasn't too hard to hand off the bulk of it to Longbottom in exchange for taking care of the precise measurements. Meanwhile, Knott kept his eye on the potion itself and added ingredients as they were handed to him, and together they made quite an effective trio. "'Don't take this the wrong way, but I'm glad you're going to be here for just the one year,' said Longbottom. "'Professor Malfoy might put us all in group favor if he thought it could depend on you. "'Would that really be so bad?' "'You have to pace yourself.' said Nutt. No one is going to look at my transcripts and see what group Professor Malfoy sorts of me into for potions, but they'll notice whether I have an E or just an A. If there's something that I really want to sink my teeth into, then I can study it privately. Don't you feel like you're setting your sights low? Nutt smiled. If I could have gotten myself into group answers, then I would have. But it's hard to do badly and pretend to not know anything when you're trying to learn, and anyway, Professor Malfoy knows my father." As if on cue, the professor made himself heard in that moment, talking to a group rido student who had been about to add an ingredient out of order. He was speaking too quietly for Hermione to pick up everything, but it sounded to be equal parts lecture and admonishment. "'I've been studying occlumency,' Hermione eventually managed to say, "'as a side project, but it isn't going very well.' Not looked curiously at her. "'Do you have any prior experience with mental magic?' Hermione shook her head. They don't teach it at Bobaton. It isn't, well, it isn't commonly taught anywhere, is it? Besides Hogwarts, I mean. It's difficult, and I don't think you could get a full curriculum out of it in the first place, except that you've expanded the subject to include everything from legitimacy to pensives, and it's sensitive, Hermione added. Another good adjective would have been intimate. It required trust to open your mind to someone else who was so much more skilled than you. Hermione had known that even before she came to Hogwarts and it was no small wonder that Riddle was permitted to peruse minds as he liked. "'You could enroll in the class now that you're here,' Nott said. "'You'd be a year behind, but the way that everything is so topic-focused, there wouldn't be that much to catch up on before you understood what the headmaster was talking about.' Hermione carefully examined the diced porcupine quills on her cutting board, less because she was concerned she had miscut them and more for an excuse to look away from Nott. "'I don't really want to.' she swallowed. Besides, my course load is heavy enough as it is. Hermione looked back and plastered on what she hoped was a convincing smile. Nott's eyes lit up with amusement. You don't say? It isn't something that's well suited to private study, though. I have the benefit of being able to practice with my father. He checked their cauldron, then added a pinch of powdered moonstone. We aren't really going to be getting into occlumency until next year anyway, I suppose. You mentioned that last week— "'But I was wondering what you knew already, and if you'd be, uh, interested in a study group. "'You said you were preparing for it already, weren't you?' "'Not nodded. "'I have a busy schedule, but we could probably work something out. "'Monday mornings before ten-thirty. Werewolf studies. "'Ah, have you found it?' "'There's rather a lot,' she admitted. "'It makes me think about, um, there aren't any classes like that in the rest of Europe. "'Are there any other schools which admit werewolves?' I don't think so, but that's the bigger problem, isn't it? I suppose that's why you're here, to see how we do things, Nott said. Was there anybody who didn't have a political motive behind the Trouser Tournament? Hermione would have liked to say that Madame Maxime had come purely in the spirit of interscholastic cooperation, but it wasn't altogether clear that the headmistress even wanted to be here. Not after Hermione's meeting with October. 
had she been naive not to expect that. Hermione and Knott's schedules were all but totally incompatible in the morning and afternoon, and neither of them wanted to meet for only thirty or forty minutes at a time, but their evenings were free, or at least flexible, for who was ever free when there was homework, so they settled on Tuesday evenings. The question of politics, however, remained stuck in her mind until she went to dinner, where it was jostled out by the sight of the great hall. The high table had been extended on either end. Sitting on the far left was a sort of portly, rosy-skinned man, speaking happily with Professor Sprout. On the other end sat a worn-looking, gray-haired woman, and last of all, the raw October. While Samara recognized the woman as some government official from Russia, or rather recognized her from some conference called Zamberavelt Altorentreffen, and then remembered she had described herself as a government worker, the mystery of their presence was left unexplained all through dinner. Once the last traces of dessert were gone, Hermione supposed that now, finally, they were going to get some definitive answers, but it was not to be. The headmaster rose from his seat, and the great hall fell silent while every light went dark, save the goblet, which burned blue-white with ghostly flames. As Riddle set it on the high table, light danced with shadows across his bone-white mask, and the rest of his cloak was visible just as a vague outline, demarcating the lines of a space that was darker than darkness. Now we will see which students the Goblet of Fire is deemed worthy. When you are chosen, I ask that you make your way speedily to the antechamber for your instructions. Hermione thought he might clarify where the antechamber was, or how anybody would get there when it was impossible to see a thing. A few murmurs across the room suggested she wasn't the only one, but then the fire rose and reddened, and something flew out of it, too fast and too small to be seen. Riddle snatched it from the air like a snake seizing a bird in mid-flight, and then his fingers shifted in the half-lit dark. The sound of parchment crept through the silence, and the headmaster spoke again, saying, "'The champion for Bobbit Hall is... Fleur Delica.' "'No, no.' Hermione whipped her head around so fast that it hurt. She turned just in time to be near-blinded when, out of the darkness, Fleur shone." luminous and magnificent. Like the water of a river, light flowed down and collected around her feet, and ran down the floor in a white gold path that led to the back of the great hall. There, at the very end, a door revealed itself and opened up. There was clapping all around, not least from the other Bobaton students, but Hermione was hardly aware of it. Fleur, she said. Please don't, whispered a part of Hermione's mind but the rest of her gathered and steeled itself. "'I believe in you.' Fleur smiled and patted Hermione's shoulder. Her hand was warm, or maybe Hermione herself was so cold. "'Thank you,' she said, and she smiled and stood to strengthening applause. As she followed the path, it faded to darkness behind her, till at last there was just the fire and Fleur, fierce and bright without a path beneath her feet." while the door closed behind her. And then there was only fire and darkness, and Hermione felt the emptiness beside her as though it were a crushing vice. Again the fire changed colors, making a bright and bloody reflection on Riddle's mask. Hermione's attention was all elsewhere, and she only dimly noticed as Riddle called out the name of Durmstrang's champion, Victor Crumb. Victor stood and bowed, as bright as Fleur had been and followed his own streaming path of light to the antechamber. The door was open, but the room was dark, 
and in short order it swallowed him up as it had Fleur. The flames turned blood-red for a third time and rose toward the ceiling like reaching fingers or a pillar of fire. Anyone but Haywood, Hermione whispered. She could see it in her mind already, fire, blood, screaming, even death. Anyone but Haywood. Riddle unfolded the slip with care. The Hogwarts champion is... He paused. Hermione Granger. For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the archive of our own page of Call Me Saltisside. The music is Amon Ra by Day's Witch under a Creative Commons license with assistance from 1T1. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.